Well, welcome to another episode of Espresso and Earl Grey. And for something completely different as a ritual of disruption, I'm kicking things off. I'm Sam Chan. And I'm Sam Wan. And I'm going to hand it back to Sam Wan because I don't know what to do from here. <laughs> um, so this is a time of, of light-hearted thinking with deep talking. Oh no, light-hearted talking about things that are deep. I don't know, this is like fourth episode and we still haven't figured out how to <laughs> a right intro. We, uh, we've been chatting, I've just been on holiday. Um, I managed to get a small Airbnb place, a cabin up in the Blue Mountains. Listeners, if you've been following um, our conversations, you would have heard my whole phone fiasco where it died. Um, but it was such a good time away because um, had no Wi-Fi, had reception. I needed reception, um, but it had no TV. Uh, it was just a bed in a studio apartment and it just looked out into foliage everywhere, tucked away in the back of Wentworth Falls. And it was so refreshing because it was a different space. Um, uh, the greenery and nature, but it was just a foreign place where um, I wouldn't bump into anyone I know. I didn't have that kind of um, on the back of my mind that I'll need to talk to someone. Um, and I said to myself, you know, I'm not going to do any work. I'm not going to read anything that relates to work. I'm, I'm going to read, but I'm not going to read anything to do with work. Um, and it was such a refreshing thing. Now, Sam, you've got a bit of a theory about kind of first, second, third spaces, and you would call this a third space. But just walk us through, why is it so, like going on holiday, I know as in the COVID period, we're all very tired because we, we can't go on holiday sometimes. Why is this removing ourselves from familiar spaces so important? Well, I learned this from a doctor called John Cass Verco, and he learned it from some other book that he read, uh, and it's, the book is called Third Space. And we need three spaces. We need a third space. The first space is home. Second space is work. So we need a third space, a space that's not home, that's not work, but a third space. And the key to life is preserving this third space. And you can see how easily first and second spaces can bleed into that third space through devices, email, working from home, all that sort of thing. But the key is to keep the third space distinctive, separate. We see that concept in graphic design, you know, where you need a lot of white space around text. You don't just fill the page with text, you need white space. So third space functions like the white space in our life. We see this in Japanese art where the space around the object even has a name apparently in Japanese, it's a thing. So you don't want to just fill the painting or the sculpture with objects, you need spaces. So our life also needs a third space, something that will keep very separate from home and from work. Because I, I can think, like, even how my room, um, unfortunately, I don't have enough space in my place for an office or a study. I'd love that. But I found when I was living at college, um, 
where I had the bed and the table and the wardrobe in this kind of what two by four uh, room and it was so hard to study there because that was my place of rest that was my place of sleep uh, and I I needed a space where it was different because if I was studying there then I couldn't sleep but if I was sleeping there I couldn't study yeah it's fascinating how I never got why people had to go to a library to study. Like, why can't you study at home in your study? That's why it's called a study, until I had kids. And suddenly, my home life bleeded into my third space, because kids always come in. So then I had to find a third space, like a library space, to do work. But even then, that's not... But we can understand how spaces work, but even there, that's still a workspace. It's not a third space. Mm. So it's fascinating how... Like, when you are at college, it's so hard to do third space with your friends because your friends, you see them in lecture rooms and exam rooms. And that's why there's always that urge to go to go away at the end of the exams for a week. Yeah. And you see a completely different side to that person. Yeah, so what you're doing at that moment is third spacing with your colleagues. And I never got conferences. You know, like, why would I want to go to a conference? The papers are boring. Everything's boring. It's just work. Just but, give me a book to read, right? That's right. <laughs> and and if, if the papers are any good, they're going to get published anyway. But sometimes going to and from the conference or even after the conference, hanging out with your work colleagues and watching a movie, what you're doing there is your third spacing with your friends. So I think we need a third space for ourselves, you know, like solitary, and maybe we find that when we go for a walk or we sit in a park with a book, we need a third space with family and friends as well. That, uh, and so when we go on conferences, we're third spacing with work friends. When we take our family on a holiday, we're third spacing with family. So I'm just thinking, I just want to peel back a little. What is the connection between humanity and space, you reckon? There's a deep, um, that need for, because behind all this is that there, there are different realms for different beings in a way. And there is a, as much as, you know, we as humans in the, in the first world build and construct and there is a connection for us in the ground, in spaces. What is that, you reckon? Wow, it's amazing because in the Bible, sorry for the Bible card out so early, but the, your two big spaces are the garden, the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve begin, but a city at the end. So somehow human beings... We love the outdoors and the wildness of the outdoors, but at the same time we like the order, the structure and civilization of a city. So it's like we love a library because here's a desk and I can control my environment. You know, it's well lit, it's clean, it's uncluttered. So I think we love those desks at libraries, but we also love beaches and national parks where there's this untamable wildness to it. So is it a matter of 
chaos and order, yin and yang. <laughs> and indoors and outdoors. Yeah. Don't you find that fascinating? Yeah, yeah. Um, that wanting... Sometimes we need that control in certain areas of our lives, but in other areas of our lives, we don't want that control and we want to be free. It's kind of like, what? We want that... For some of us, we want that control in an office, but when we go on holiday, we don't want to set an agenda because we just want to, you know, have the hair, you know, blow, blow out hair, no, the, the air, you know, the wind in our air, uh, hair and, and just go where the, where the road takes us. And it's funny, when you go on holidays, what are your two options for accommodation? One is either a hotel or Airbnb where we're looking for, it's got to be clean. Like, like, it's got to be vacuumed, it's been dusted before we got there, and it's uncluttered. That's what we're looking for. Or you can go camping, which is a complete opposite. It's like clutter everywhere, there's dirt, there's mud, there's rain. And it's, it's funny how they're the two extremes we're looking for. Control or loss of control. Order, disorder, no dirt, heaps of dirt. Mm. think through like styles of living as well I know it's from holiday to styles of living um, but you've got say Marie Kondo uh, you live a very in how you aesthetically arrange your your house it's very minimalistic because you want to control and you want to spark joy and you want to have just the bare essentials whereas You've got other people who are writing about you've just got to unleash yourself in a way. You've just got to surrender yourself to nature and the world and wilderness, the wild man or the wild woman. And is it... Which one's good? Which one's bad? Which one's better? Which one's well, it's worse? Totally it's about yin personality. It's totally yin and yang. Totally about personality. And I think that's why I have to have a third space because my home is totally cluttered. It's not how I want it. Uh, my wife and kids are just totally taking over all my spaces. So I think that's why I need a third space. Like home, <laughs> home is the wild place for me, whereas a third space is a very controlled place for me. But not, not only do we think about third spaces, but in terms of holiday, um, furnishing, work, rest but you also talk about the rituals of maintenance and disruption i guess the idea of control and cleaning that's a ritual of maintenance whereas going on holiday unleashing the inner wild side of yourself is a ritual of Disruption. disruption. Yeah, we need rituals of maintenance, rituals of disruption in balance in every sphere of our life, both in our own daily life and also in the macro life of maybe a year. So I'll give you an example. In your daily life, you need rituals of maintenance. You need to eat, you need to shower, you need to sleep. That's their rituals of maintenance. But you need rituals of disruption, and that's what exercise functions as, because it actually stresses, overloads your body. And so rituals of Disruption, like exercise, make you stronger because you come back stronger from being disrupted. And rituals of maintenance give you security and stability. And you need the two in balance because if you only have maintenance, then you get stale and flabby. 
if you only have disruption, well, you burn out, you get stressed. So you need the two in balance. You see this in church life. You know, when people turn up to church, they always sit in exactly the same seat. They want to sing the same hymns. They want the same order of service. So churches function as a ritual of maintenance. And that's why they get so upset if someone sits in their seat or someone changes the order of service or they sing songs they don't recognise. But at the same time, churches need rituals of disruption. So maybe they organise a weekend away or something like that. And family life is the same. You have rituals of maintenance, you know, you eat together, you do the school drop-off, but you need rituals of disruption, like a family holiday, a place you've never been before. And here's an interesting thing. So in, in my married life with my wife, you know, you obviously have your rituals of maintenance. So, you know, you, know, you have a daily routine, chores, empty the dishwasher, but you need rituals of disruption and this is what date night functions as. And, and of course the joke is even date night can become a ritual of maintenance again. Like, oh, where are we going tonight? I don't know. You choose. I don't care. I don't know. Italian or Thai. I don't know. Uh, what movie should we watch? Should we watch action or comedy? I don't know. So it becomes a ritual of maintenance. So yeah, ritual disruption has now become a ritual of maintenance. So what you need, we need to do as a married couple was... I, I say, okay, let's pick somewhere we've never been before. Parking's got to be hard. Uh, we, and, and it's got to function as a ritual of disruption. And you can see how even holidays can become like that. If you go to the same place every time, what should have been a ritual of disruption now becomes a ritual of maintenance. As a, as a healthy person myself then, how do I apply those principles of maintenance and disruption? You've talked about exercise, you've talked about, you know, date nights. Um, say for, for those of us who work, how do we, how do, we do a healthy, um, in our work, disruption and maintenance? Yeah, it could be just little things to mess you up, like catch a different train or leave at a different time or take a day off in the middle of the week because you're la you had a day off you should have taken. So just disrupt yourself. Mm. I don't know whether this is health healthy for other people, but for me, I, I work 20-minute cycles, um, 20 minutes and 10 minutes rest. Uh, which I kind of developed in my study as well. Every 20 minutes, it'll be, all right, let's get a cup of tea. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go wander around and talk to someone. And I find that it just keeps me disrupted enough that I'm able to concentrate for a deeper amount of time. Or, or I, perhaps I'm more efficient in my amount of time when I know that I, I have also an amount of time that I don't have to be efficient. Whereas I think it drives my colleagues crazy <laughs> that I walk out of the office every, every 20 minutes. Um, but that's, yes, that's, that's how I, is, is that too chaotic? You reckon? No, because the body functions well in short bursts rather than long, continuous, uninterrupted, Span so I think our attention span is only twenty minutes. 
So there's no point going longer than we should. Even exercise now, all the rage is that high intensity interval training where you go hard for a few minutes, back off for a minute, go hard for a few minutes, back off for a minute. And they find it's much more beneficial than having gone for a 60 minute run or walk. The fact that you disrupted the body. And even exercise, we have to disrupt exercise. You can't do the same routine every day, every week, because the body adapts to it and it becomes a ritual of maintenance again. So you gotta keep your rituals of disruption disruptive. So I, I reckon, let's, let's go back, because we started talking about holidays. What types of good rituals of maintenance in holidays do you have? Like I would reckon Chinese New Year is a big maintenance thing. Everyone comes together. Um, everyone eats. You expect the red pockets. There's a ritual there. Um, wow, that's fascinating. So yeah, even in your macro cycle, there are rituals of maintenance. And that's what COVID robbed us of. Both the maintenance and the disruptive rituals because we didn't get yeah. the disruptive Christmas, holidays, you know? but we didn't get the maintenance yeah. festivals of yeah. Christmas and New, New Year's. Year and, you know, or, or graduation. That's, that's wow. a huge one, right? Yeah. Well, maybe it's not... And that's a rite of passage. That's a rite of passage. And, but the, the ritual of walking from your seat without a diploma, going to the person, taking that diploma which is symbolic because you've already got the degree regardless of whether you have the diploma and then shaking the hand and walking back down that that is that was gone wow um for you personally what's your favorite ritual macro level ritual <sighs> or my, my favorite my, holiday <laughs> my favorite holiday That's i think cool. it's oh we two two holidays the ski holiday where we have this ritual where we drove down to Victoria, stopped over at Holbrook, spent a night there, then we skied for a week at Mount Hotham, and on the way back we spent a night in Gundagai and have a breakfast at Juni or something, okay, I think something like that, and then, and then come back. It was just this ritual that we did for eight years in a row, and suddenly last year we didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And what was the other one? Oh, just uh, going down to Tartra, near Bega, for a surf holiday, like for a week, living near the beach and, and surfing twice a day. Mm-hmm. What about you? What, what, what about your rituals? I have a strange one. This is perhaps not a mac. It is a macro level one, but it's not a macro le- macro level one. My ritual is whenever I go on a holiday, and my friends will know this, um, regardless of what holiday it is, the first thing I have to do when I get onto the highway is to go to Macca's and order a sausage and egg McMuffin uh, <laughs> and a hash brown and an orange juice. Regardless of the time of day, that has to be the first thing because that, for me, symbolises it's the start of the holiday. <laughs> so true. It's strange, isn't it? Yep, yep, yep. Um, but I, I have to do it. Um, I remember once um, driving my friend... Uh, we finished some, we, we started holiday at around 10 o'clock at night and I said, Simon, we've got to stop at Macca's and get a sausage and egg McMuffin because this is the start. I know it's 11 o'clock at night. I know we might not be that hungry, but I have to have this or else my holiday has not started. 
Wow, it's funny. <laughs> like when we do the beach holiday down the south coast, we always have to stop at a baker's delight <laughs> just south of Wollongong. Like, it doesn't matter whether we're hungry or not, we're just doing it. Whenever I used to have conferences in the USA, I had this ritual where I had to walk into an outdoor store called, called REI and just buy woolen socks. I can't explain it. It was just my little ritual. And also go into one of their chemists or drugstores and buy a tube of toothpaste. It's just weird little rituals we build into even these macro rituals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like even athletes, you know, Rafael Nadal, who has to do all the, the brushing of his hair and, and the touching of his arms before each serve to just... Uh, get into the moment um, there's just all these rituals are so important in our lives aren't they not only you know we could think we're chaotic beings but really we're not we are still very ritualistic in our chaos As a Christian, what rituals are important to you? Wow. Well, at a micro level, I have to begin every day. Like Rafael Nadal's got his weird little habits. I have this thing called CBE, Coffee Bible Exercise. I've got to have a cup of coffee and I'll read the Bible for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then I'll do 30 minutes of exercise. And after that, I reward myself with a cold shower. And that's how I begin the day. And if I don't get that, my whole day feels wrong. And then after the shower, I'll do this, the puzzles in the Sydney Morning Herald, the newspaper. Then my day can begin. And then as a Christian, I think just that Sunday ritual, uh, of just going to church with family and just having like, my boys sit next to me on my lap during church, it, it just nice little rhythm i call it part of the rhythm and fabric of the week and then talking about rituals you know in the in the church tradition we do the lord's supper in our church once a month and now you realize what an important ritual of maintenance that is and also it's like your graduation ritual because it's that moment where you define who you are as a tribe because you know the minister says this is a ritual that jesus created help us remember him but at the same time he created for his followers so if you're not yet a follower you know just watch what we do we look forward to that day when you can celebrate it with us so it's a rite of passage ritual and a ritual maintenance at the same time and a disruptive ritual because we don't do it all the time either What about for you? I think the Lord's Supper is, you know, uh, eating of the bread together and drinking of the grapes, juice, Ribena, <laughs> wine together um, is is so... For me, I, I didn't realise how important it was until a couple of years ago um, when I hadn't had the Lord's Supper for a long time. And I'm not talking, you know, I'm not, I'm not you know saying, oh, you know, heebie-jeebies, you know, I didn't have Lord's Supper and then all the energy was sucked out of me. No, no, no. It just, when I, when I, when we did it again, I can't remember why there was a long break, but, but when we did it again, there was just this whole overwhelming sense of unity that, um, sure, I think 
that's why singing together is so good and that's why meeting together and reciting the creed together but the whole idea of just this is my body eat and take and everyone doing it at the same time and this is my blood that I spilled for you and you drink at the same time it becomes not only I guess theologically it's a means of grace it's called a means of grace but it's a means of grace because we realise that it's a means of grace for all of us and we're in this community together and then we're going to keep doing this to remember the Lord until he returns. And that was just so powerful. And I was recently part of a church that only did it three times a year and I realised how much I missed it. Um, I, I used to, I, I don't know if I've told this story, but um, I used to, in the mornings on Sundays, I used to go to Martin Luther Kirche in the city, a uh, little German church there. And um, they would do the Lord's Supper once a month and they would, you know, have proper wine, proper communion wine, um, pre-COVID, um, but the, the cup would be, you, everyone would go up to the front, form a circle, and the cup will be passed on. I can understand why some people ran and <laughs> to the front to be the first few. Um, and then you, 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 know, you, you, either, took, you either took the bread or, or you dipped it in the cup and had it or you could drink it. And there it was again, a completely different ritual. The same, what would you call it? The same principle of ritual, but different enactment of that ritual. And it all the more formed a unity because we were drinking out of the same cup um, that the saliva of the previous person had. But, you know, pre-COVID. Um, but it was just like, we are in this all the more because of that. And that wow. just, it, was a, it was a disruptive way of doing yeah, ritual well, maintenance. Definitely wasn't disruptive for them. For, for, them, for you but it was. For me, it was just... It opened my eyes up to community, flesh and blood, tightness, family, all the more. Um, and I can't remember the, the other ritual. Oh, the other ritual that I think I'll, I think I'll end on is um, I grew up in a Lutheran church. And um, whenever the, the... Whenever... The Gospels, there's, there's three readings, Old Testament, New Testament, and Gospels. Whenever the Gospel is read, the congregation stands up to read, to receive the Word of God. Now, theologically, I think that's quite incorrect because we should stand up for Old Testament, New Testament, and Gospel reading. We don't have a canon within canon. Um, but I grew up with that thinking, oh, this is just you know, silly traditions. But when I went back as an adult, I realised, okay, maybe the people don't know, realise it because they've been doing this for 40 years. But coming to that and realising the reverence of receiving the Word of God and everyone standing up to read together was so powerful for me. And I thought... I can understand why traditions can go, like, what do you call it, can fossilise, but unless we actually really realise what these 
traditions and rituals are, they can be so life-giving.